Well, off the weekend, we promised we would be here on a Monday. We are here on the Monday with the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am the somewhat, uh, I think, competent, very much jet-lagged host coming from San Francisco back to the Eastern Time Zone overnight. He's a little more rested. He's been in New York. He is our Big Fight Weekend content partner. You read him on the Fight Freaks Unite Substack. He's Dan Rayfield. He was there, for whatever that was, from Teofimo Lopez with his victory. You're a little more rested than I am, I think. I can see you. You can see me. But we were not gonna we we were not gonna let this weekend go by and not be here for the peeps. We're just here a little later because TJ was on a plane all night and we finally got it worked out to get the podcast recorded. How are you, Dan Rayfield? I'm good. I mean, I I, I was in New York for that show you mentioned. I went up there on Saturday afternoon, did the show, went to the press conference, uh, wrote my stories and uh, that were on my Substack as well as on the Big Fight Weekend, and then took the uh, trusty old 2.53 a.m. train from New York City back to Washington, D.C., slept a good amount on the plane, on the train, not a lot, rolled in about 6.30 a.m. Uh, my wife, God bless her, who was up early with some stuff that had to go on that day, was able to come and pick me up at the train station, so that was a, a very nice bonus. Went home, did a little more work, and then uh, sacked out and had a nice four-hour sleep and watched some football. Oh, and then your Giants made you miserable. I don't want to talk about the I Giants. Know, and I don't want to talk. Not, listen, they're as bad as your Bucks. Listen, days. I went all the way out and got <clears throat> rained on in San Francisco for the Bucks to get blown out. So we're not talking NFL on this podcast, but at least we got a lot of boxing to cover from Teofimo Lopez to Terrence Crawford to the upset. Yes, congratulations. You had Luis Alberto Lopez with the upset of Josh Warrington. He's the new IBF featherweight champ. So much to discuss. First, though, we disclaim, thank you for finding us, social media link, Dan Substack, bigfightweekend.com, however you found us. Make sure you're following and subscribing this podcast, the recap podcast, usually out late Sunday night, give or take. And give us a rating for crying out loud. Yes. Okay. Do We, we may need to come up with some more bribes before the end of the year, but yes, we need to get the ratings up. Rate us and review us if you're hearing us, if you've not done so, because we may... We may be doing something for those that rate us and review us in December. How about that for a tease? Give us a quick two or three sentence. Hey, Dan's brilliant. TJ's a moron. Whatever you want to do. Four-star review, five-star review. Give it to us uh, there on Apple Podcast, uh, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribing. We come off the weekend with this recap podcast. Big Fight Weekend Preview comes your way on Fridays going into the weekend. We need to tease, by the way. Big Fight Preview, Big Fight Weekend Preview. We'll have a special guest coming uh this weekend give them a tease on what's coming up well you want to just tell them what we've got you want to tease them or you want to tell them it's up to you i'll just um, tell them we have a, I have a i had a very good interview uh, a few days ago with uh the welterweight contender jaron boots ennis who was um going to be appearing on the january 7th pay-per-view undercard showtime pay-per-view undercard that is headlined by the tank davis uh hector luis garcia fight and, and boots ennis is in an elimination or really an interim title fight but in essence, what it does, if he wins, it makes him mandatory for one of the belts, the IBF belt that Errol Spence has. And whether he gets to fight Spence when he wins or for the vacant, you know, if he just gets elevated from the vacant title, should Spence uh, relinquish the title? Either way, uh, a good conversation with Boutenis, one of the best young fighters in boxing, has been for the last few years, has made that step from uh, prospect to contender, just absolutely destroying uh, guys. Yep. Hard to get quality opponents to fight him. But he's got, uh, you know, the couple of name guys that have stepped up to fight him. He's just taken out with ease, including in a spectacular knockout, for example, Sergey Lipinets. So anyway, had a conversation with uh, Boots about appearing on that card and uh, what that fight means to him and his career and sort of what his uh, longer term thoughts are 
And, uh, you know, he's a good interview. He's a good kid. You are uh, you are on it, and that guy is e-ticketed for stardom, it looks like. So we look forward to hearing from him later in the week. That's why you got to follow and subscribe. Because, like in this case on Monday, I realize the savages have been waiting. So you've been waiting throughout the day and throughout the afternoon. Where is Rayfield? Not so much TJ. Where Where is my Rayfield? No, they need fix? TJ also. They need don't okay. sell yourself short. So they will You're get an alert. Host. I understand. They will get an alert. They will get a bell. They will get a ding like they got today. A banner, right? A light. A, a, a vibration, a light, something that says brand new podcast on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. In this key, in this case, the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Uh, and that's that's all you got to do. If you follow or subscribe, that's what you're going to get an alert that we're out. You don't have to have a social media link. You don't have to have any other prompting. It's here. And so there we go. All right. So all of that is good. Let's start with what you covered at MSG at Madison Square Garden in New York. Teofimo Lopez won. I think it's fair to say because I saw this Saturday night in San Francisco. He was not impressive. It was not an impressive showing. He struggled to get the win. His own father, round after round, is in the in-corner audio, and I don't know how much you heard live because you were ringside, pleading with him. What's wrong with you, he keeps saying. you got to do something. All right, so there was concern in his own corner. He wins. He gets the decision. After the fight, Dan Rayfield, he's standing saying to anybody that will listen around him, am I any good? Did I do good? Did I What's going on here? Give me your thoughts. You were there ringside. You're covering it. <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts in this one, TJ. Go and on. I did hear the audio because when I was home, I did go back and watch through some of the broadcasts and, and specifically went to the times between rounds to hear what was being said. Um, you know, when his father, Tiafimo Sr. says, what's wrong with you? One of the things I would submit is I don't have the top-notch trainer that I need. That's a different <laughs> story. Uh, more, more later. Keep going. Listen, a, a few a few observations about that particular situation because I, i'm just the, the people on social media are lunatics who who feel like it went from you know uh tfimo getting a win to like he lost or he stinks or he's this or he's that and it was the outright robbery of the century and that sort of stuff which it wasn't here's my basic takeaway tfimo lopez absolutely 100 won the fight number two it was a shitty fight terrible fight to watch number three uh, Sandor Martin came, you know, uh, to do what he's best at doing, what he's capable of doing, and to to do what he had to do to try to win. Because if he stands and trades, which is not his style, Tifima Lopez is probably going to knock him out. But he is a mover. He is a slick guy. He's a southpaw. He came to employ that kind of style, which is a mess to watch, but is often effective, as it was when he fought Mikey Garcia. He didn't do anything different than when he fought against Mikey Garcia. He just did enough against a more faded, disinterested fighter in Mark Mikey Garcia than Tifimo Lopez because that was a majority decision that he won, but it was also very, very close. So in this case, <clears throat> you know, he it looks a little better for Sander Martin in terms of the overall perception of the fight because he did have uh, a knockdown in the second round. He did land a right hand on the side of the head. Their feet may have gotten slightly tangled, but it was I felt it was a knockdown watching the replay. Yes. I thought so too. And let me ask one thing. That moment happens early. How at ringside, how much more apprehensive do you think it made Lopez in that moment? And as the fight went on, he caught me coming in and I'm going to be more cautious. What's your read on that? I'm sure that's part of it. You know, he had to be cognizant of the right hook. Uh, the one thing about the fight, though, is when he was originally preparing for Jose Pedraza, who was the opponent before he became ill and had a withdraw like a month before the fight, and they replaced him with the Southpaw Sander Martin, who had been the fighter that the WBC ordered 
uh, to fight Tifimo in the WBC 140-pound final eliminator. They were just able to make that fight on relatively short notice rather than him going through with the Madraza fight and then negotiating a Sander Martin fight for his next bout. In any event, so Martin comes in on, you know, he had been in the gym, not necessarily preparing for a specific bout, but but in shape, near weight, all that. Um, and so I'm sure it made him apprehensive because later in the fight, in the seventh round, he went down again where as another right hook, but again, my opinion, I watched the replay back both in the arena on the big screen right above me, as well as when I came home uh, and looked at it. The second right hook in the seventh round, that was the other reason that Tifimo found himself on the canvas. That was a judgment call. And I felt that Ricky Gonzalez, the referee, made the right call because while there was a punch, it was 100% a cuffing shot behind the head was not a legal punch in my mind. Uh, it wasn't a, a purposeful foul by any stretch. But for him to not rule that a knockdown, I felt was the right decision, the same way I felt it was the right decision to rule at a knockdown in round number two, even though their feet got slightly tangled, there was a clean shot that was not a cuffing punch. So the people that want to say that Sander Martin scored two knockdowns and he definitely won the fight don't know what the fuck they're talking about because they don't <laughs> understand that a cuffing punch behind the head is just not a legal punch. And, if the referee, and it's strictly a judgment call. And so, if the referee says it ain't a knockdown, it ain't a knockdown and you can't score okay. as such. So the place where people, I understand the irritation, if you will, is you have one judge scoring the fight in favor of Sander Martin 95-94, which means that that judge had it five rounds to five. And because Sander Martin had the official knockdown in round two, he gets a 10-8 round, which means it's not a draw. It's, you know, without the knockdown, it's 95-95. So that's a plausible score. I can't, like, strongly and strenuously argue against that, but I just disagree with it. Uh, I had to fight 96 to 93 in favor of Tifimo Lopez. One of the judges had it 97 to 92. That was the one that seemed a little bit kind of shaky, but I can still, honestly, I can still see that as well. And I say that because Sander Martin was not active. He didn't throw a lot of punches and he yep. sure as heck didn't land a lot of punches, which is more important than how many punches you're throwing. He just did not connect with enough punches. And when you combine a lack of connect rate and the act of moving backwards often judges are conditioned and trained all things equal you're going to score for the fighter that is more aggressive even if it's not totally um you know helpful or or effective or whatever but when a guy's running backwards fighting off the back foot not throwing many punches and certainly landing fewer and more also importantly when you do land you're not really doing damage, and I understand there was a knockdown, but it was like as flash a knockdown as there was. Tifima Lopez was not hurt by that shot. So right. you take all that stuff combined, and I totally get why you're giving more of the rounds to Lopez, even though he looked pretty bad, let's be honest. And Sander Martin, that's who he is. I mean, I have no need to see Sander Martin fight anymore. At the end of the day, boxing, it's a sport, but it's also entertainment, and Sander Martin just provides no entertainment value. Not my guy, not my cup of tea. I don't begrudge him. Let him do that, but you don't have to do it on my TV and my main event. And I don't got to sit ringside for that shit. I understand. So they put the Heisman Caleb Williams jersey, the USC jersey on Teofimo, and he celebrated. Then I mentioned the moment there where he's standing around going, am I am I good? Um, so, all right, let's go to the aftermath of this because he's lost to Cambosis um a year ago. He's come back now and fought, and he, he was pretty good in the, in the return fight. He was... Uh, he was okay in this fight. Well, I'll grant right. him that he was okay in this fight. Where do we go from here? Well, first and does of all, he need a new trainer? Go ahead. 
well, he's needed a new trainer from like the early days of his pro career. And that's not a knock on his dad, but he, they need some help. I mean, when they brought in Joey Gamache to the camp to serve as an assistant, you know, who's a pretty low key guy, but a real knowledgeable boxing person who learned, uh, you know, from the great Emmanuel Stewart. I mean, that seemed to be when Tifima was at his best. So they sort of still, I think, need that type of person in the camp. Somebody who's willing and able to take the backseat to the dad. I'm not suggesting get rid of the father. You know, he's his dad. I mean, I have no problem with that. But you need somebody else to bring another set of eyes, another uh, way to maybe put in some X's and O's to maybe away from the to the fighter, but have the conversations with the father about the strategy or the type of drills or whatever you're doing in camp and, and bring that extra person to the training. I think that's important. So to be clear, because I don't want there to be any mistake, I'm not advocating in any way, shape or form that Tfimo should part ways with his father as his trainer and get rid of him. Not at all. I'm saying get somebody like Joey Gamach or bring Joey back that can bring that other more experienced level of professionalism and understanding and nuance to your camp that can be a big help. So I think they do need that. I don't expect father and son to separate. That's, you know, I'm not into breaking up families, you know, not my style. <laughs> so I do think that's helpful in terms of where we go. I think people should also, before they freak out and, and completely say that Tifima Lopez is no good anymore, even though he certainly understandably was doubting himself in the immediate moments after the fight, which I believe is one of the reasons why he didn't come to the press conference. Uh, maybe his team didn't want him to say the wrong thing. Uh, in any event, uh, people I think are overreacting a little bit because I don't care what fighter you are in the 140 pound weight class, pick one of the top fighters. I think they're all going to have uh, moments where they're going to look exposed against a Sander Martin who fights with that type of, you know, uh, unappealing style. He's going to frustrate a lot of guys. I don't care if you're, you know, any of the, the guys in that weight class, if you're, Josh Taylor or Jack what Catterall about the or argument Teofimo's shown a big punch what about the argument that he never flashed that big punch to rock him to change the dynamic and is that a concern at 140 which 100%. some people are bringing up go ahead yeah my other thought about that is and this is not just based on Sander Martin it is seeing them next to each other I feel like and Teofimo is what now I guess people might call a tweener he says, and I believe him, he just cannot make 135 anymore. His body's outgrown it. He's a grown man now. He's been making 135 pounds for a long, long time. And it's the same, about to be the same way with uh, the champion, Devin Haney, who's bursting at the seams and has been for years. I remember when, when Matchroom Boxing signed him, they did a press conference in Vegas. This is well before he won the title. Uh, he was getting ready to fight the fight against Antonio Moran, for example. And at that press conference, there was conversations about, oh, I'm only going to be at lightweight for another couple of fights. Like, you know, I'm having trouble. And we're here a few years later. He's still barely making the weight. Um, Tifima Lopez is not making 135 anymore, nor should he force himself to do that because I don't think it's healthy for him or he'll be able to do it. However, at 140 pounds, you know, he it, it feels like he's a little too small. And when I see the Tifimo that performed against Sandra Martin on Saturday, and I think back to the Tifimo Lopez that performed against um, uh, Pedro Campa in the August fight, which was his debut at 140. Even if you go back and see him in, in a, a tough fight against Cambosis, or even in the later stages of the Lomachenko fight, who Loma was much smaller than him. And, and Tifimo, yes, he won that fight, but he struggled over the last few rounds. I just don't know if he can hang with the big boys at 140. When I think about a matchup between him and Regis Progre, I think Progre would... I mean, again, I, I have nothing but love for Tifimo Lopez, the person. I love the guy. Uh, and I rather like the father also, as nutty as he is. Uh, I just don't feel like he would be able to truly compete with Regis Progress in that kind of fight. And, and I, would, I, would have, I would have really serious questions about him 
beating Jose Ramirez, Josh Taylor, Jack mm. Catterall, you know, Ryan Garcia. Um, I mean, pick a guy at 140. Look, they, they, there, there was some conversation <clears throat> before Pedraza fell out and before Martin came in. It basically was top rank would have been able and, and willing to make a match between Tifimo and Pedraza or Tifimo and Arnold Barboza, who's the undefeated contender that top rank also promotes. They were happy to do either fight from what top rank told me. The Tifimo Lopez camp, Dave McWater as manager and, and the father and the team, they didn't, they had no interest in Barboza. They opted for Pedraza instead. And I don't know why, because I think Arnold Barboza is going to give Tifimo Lopez help. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have the name of a, of a Pedraza. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they opted for that. And then when it came to the Martin fight, it was short notice. And also it was a eliminator. So now, even though he maybe didn't look great, the one thing that was a positive is, you know, if you look at the silver lining is he got, he gets the victory and now he's sitting there as the mandatory in the WBC. Now that's Regis Progress title. Because he won a vacant title, the WBC rule says you have to fight back-to-back mandatories. Jose Ramirez, the former champion, is first in line. So that's the next fight that Progre will be ordered to do. And we'll see if Top Rank and Probellum can make a deal or it goes to a purse, but or whatever. But the winner of that fight will then, in his next mandatory, will be obligated to fight uh, Tiafimo Lopez. And we'll have to just wait and see what happens in terms of uh, his mentality. Do they want to do that fight? And if he's, is he going to make any changes, you know, and can you just chalk it up to a bad night against a difficult opponent that is very negative? Um, my final comment is very simple, TJ. Bad fight, but Lopez won. And so now we'll, we'll see what he does internally with his team and what that next matchup might be. You covered that well. And again, we're getting to the Terrence Crawford a WBO welterweight title win. That's coming. And the Lopez upset of Josh Warrington, it was an upset. I saw you swatting some Twitter peeps about that. It was an upset uh, for Lopez to go to Leeds, England, and get the decision over Josh Warrington. So we're going to cover all of that here on the podcast. Finish up on the undercard. Star-studded undercard. You well-documented it. All of the undercard fighters that were supposed to win won. The most prominent in the co-feature was Jared Real Big Baby Anderson pummeling, and I mean pummeling times three, Jerry Forrest, uh, in, in the corner uh, through the end of the first round and the beginning of the second round until finally, mercifully, David Field stopped the fight with Forrest just taking shot after shot after shot. I mean, you needed a standing eight count or something because that was it was it was like a truncated version, a quicker version of Chisora taking all those shots from Tyson Fury. I'm sitting in my hotel in San Francisco while you're ringside going, stop the fight. He is just pummeling this guy's melon. To the point that Jerry Forrest is sitting on the stool. You saw this and heard this, but we put it up on social media. He's asking the doctor a minute after the fight, the fight's over with a blank look on his face. He does not realize and remember the fight's over because he's he got his melon thumped for four minutes of action. All right, my thoughts. You were ringside on Real Big Baby and the rest of the undercard. Xander Zayas win. Keyshawn Davis win. Go ahead. As it relates to Anderson and Forrest, my, I mean, I thought that that – Jared Anderson was going to win that fight and do so by knockout. I thought it was going to go deep because Jerry Forrest is known uh, for his durability. I mean, even though he's got some losses and some draws, he's fought, you know, good, you know, good, competent quality guys. He's got the draw with Zhang Zilai. He's got the draw with Michael Hunter, who was, that was a robbery to most people that, that Jerry won the fight. And even in the losses, you know, he's proven mostly to be durable. I think he'd only been stopped one time previously. 
So the over-under on that fight was three and a half rounds. I was thinking, you know, that's the over. I mean, it's a 10-round fight. It's going to probably go maybe six, seven. You know, Jared has never been past six rounds, I guess, completed rounds. And, uh, you know, he jumped out. But here's the thing about that fight. Jerry Forrest had that moment in the first round before Jared got whooping up on him where he hit him with a nice shot. And he he definitely buzzed Jared Anderson, who even admitted at the press conference, you know, he got touched with that shot and he felt it. He did a little bit of a, of a wobble. And uh, at that moment, it's like, wow, you know, now he, as he said uh, um, a, a, a light switch flipped and he went into his beast mode, I guess, yes. and started to tee off on Jerry Forrest. So the problem with Jerry is he wasn't intelligent enough in the ring to understand that he had hurt uh, Jared Anderson. And instead of trying to, you know, maybe take a step back and see, you know, I'm not saying don't go for it, but try to find that shot again. Just don't go rushing in and trying to blitz the guy. And, you know, he gave him enough time to recover and it just, you know, it couldn't have worked out any worse for Jerry Forrest. Jared Anderson is a tremendous puncher and he's a big guy. And let me tell you, when he had him in the corner and he was just pummeling him, that was taking place about five feet from my face. Mm. Mm. Uh, And it was a lot of heavy punches. I mean, I'm surprised that Jerry didn't actually go down uh, to the mat from those shots. In the end, Jared Anderson is exciting to watch. He's got a real future. I love the fact that he was like, he didn't just say, yeah, I'll fight anybody like a lot of guys do or say I want a contender. He called names. He called Philip Hergovich. He called Frank Sanchez, which nobody does. He called Dillian White. He called Daniel Dubois. And I'm going to tell you right now, he beats Daniel Dubois, in my opinion. Uh, right now, they can make that fight tomorrow. That Jared Anderson that I saw Saturday night beats Dillian White, who I, I've i thought Dillian White's washed for like two years. Oh, I was Jared just, Anderson I was, beats I, him. I agree with that. I was just mentioning Dubois mm-hmm. because he's the mm-hmm. he's one of the younger guys and he's got the second tier belt. And he also, uh, you know, uh, escaped uh, life and death, you know, on the card uh, with Tyson Fury. Right. Uh, in that fight with Kevin Lorena, who is, you know, I think a pretty decent fighter, but not not uh, Jared Anderson, because Jared Anderson would knock out Kevin Lorena also. So Jared Anderson is going to be around for a little bit. I mean, if, if he can take the shots and he showed he, he could take that big shot against Jerry Forrest, at least, you know, in that particular moment. He's going to be a fun future to watch. He's going to make good fights on TV, and he's a bad boy. They're going to take him home to Toledo uh, and top rank Will probably sometime uh, in the coming year, and they'll they'll build him up there a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's got a real chance to be a, a, a heavyweight American star. You know, with the backing of top rank and ESPN, the style that he has, uh, the weight class that he fights in, and that power – uh, you know, you got a guy to definitely get behind if you're a fan of uh, heavyweight boxing. And we love the Grinch outfit. He came in the full costume. And the, the Grinch outfit, mat. yes. The Grinch outfit was outstanding. Say something quickly. Zayas with the win. He ticketed for stardom as well. Keyshawn Davis, same way. They both won. Listen, we were right there. I thought all three of the guys, Xander Zayas, Keyshawn Davis, and Jared Anderson, all looked good in their fights, all did what they were supposed to do and did so with a certain amount of flair. Uh, when I was at the post-fight press conference, I, you know, Tifimo obviously did not come to the press conference, but the three fighters did along, you know, Carl Moretti from Top Rank was running the show, but the three fighters posed, they all have their various little, uh, in, you know, their regional title belts and all that as they make their way up the ladder. So I snapped a photo with my phone of the three guys together posing for the cameras <clears throat> and I tweeted it and I wrote three future stars and all three of them have real star potential. So we just spoke about Jared. Xander Zayas is a 20 year old kid who is already, uh, you know, 15 and 0. He won a decision against Alexis Salazar, who was not a bum. That was a solid, solid opponent for him. He won the fight going away. One round, uh, one judge had it a shutout. Two judges gave Salazar one round. I thought Xander looked very good, but what what stuck out to me 
was hearing the crowd that was there. The total crowd in the in the building on fight night was a little over 8,000, which is for a first time as a main event on a card that wasn't a big show with championship fights or a, a big name opponent for Tifimo in the main event. I actually thought that was pretty good. That's sort of like the way Miguel Cotto started when he fought his first main event there. So they're going to build Tifimo up there, I guess. But there was a lot of Puerto Rican fans there specifically who were definitely in the corner and cheering for Xander Zayas. So what I was thinking about while he's taken apart a pretty competent opponent is two years from now, mark it down in your calendar if the kid keeps winning, June 2023, I guess, or 24, let's call it, he'll be the main event on Puerto Rican Parade Day weekend in a, in a, in a fight at the Garden that will probably fill the place. So file this little soundbite away. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back and see what happens in the summer of 2024 if he's not filling that building because he's got that kind of star power. He's got a f- appealing style. He's uh, got a great personality. He's, ex- you know, he's exuberant and he's nice and he can fight and he's got Puerto Rican uh, fans behind him. So that was what I saw in that fight. And with Keyshawn Davis, uh, the 2020 uh, silver medal winner from the Olympic Games for the United States. Top rank also later uh, sometime next year will take him to Norfolk, Virginia, uh, where, where he fights and build him up in his hometown and do what uh, you're supposed to do if you're a good promoter is fish where the fish are. But mm-hmm. Keyshawn Davis also took on a guy in, in Juan Carlos Burgos. Again, you know, not at the top of his game. He's an older fighter, but he's got 35 wins, you know, pretty durable guy. He had fought for titles three times in his career at lightweight and junior lightweight. Uh, was 0-2-1 and in those title fights, but was, you know, never embarrassed. And Keyshawn Davis shut him out 80 to 72 on all three scorecards. And I thought to myself, as I was watching the fight, and I asked Keyshawn about this at the press conference, I said, Keyshawn, you were dominating so much against this guy that was supposed to give you a step up, some competition. Be honest with me. Were you a little bored in there? You know, he started playing to the crowd and he sort of put his head down and he smiled. He's got a real endearing way about him. And he's like, yeah, being honest, I was a little bored. Like he needs to be stepped up against a better level of opponent. Now, top rank is doing its job. They thought Burgos would give him a little bit of competition, and he didn't. And so now, uh, even at 7-0, and he wants, and I don't blame him, he needs a really – he needs a a big step up in his level. He'll be able to handle it, I believe. This kid is a very talented boxer. I don't see any flaws in terms of what I've seen so far. He can punch a little bit. He's got good speed. He's got good uh, IQ. He knows – uh, defensively, he's very responsible. Um, he has a top amateur pedigree. I mean, there really is no serious weakness that I can uh, see. And Burgos just had absolutely nothing for him. So all, <clears throat> all three of those young kids uh, did very well. And as I said, TJ, many times, Top Rank's got the best stable of prospects in yep. boxing. Yep. These are their three best guys. 23 years old for Jared Anderson. 23 years old for Keyshawn Davis. 20 years old for Xander Zayas. So these guys, you know, if they keep doing what they're doing, they're going to be around for a while. And I believe that there's a time in the future where all three of these fighters at one time or another are going to either headline at the Garden or in the, at least in the theater uh, in fights that we're going to see, not on undercards on ESPN or on ESPN Plus streams, but on the main event of the big show. Love all that. So it was a it was a, a good night for Top Rank's prospects. Not It was a good night from for Lopez to get the win even if he didn't look so great. And uh, so there's there's multiple ways you could look at it. And by the way, let me say one other thing. Yep. Even below that, on the rest of the undercard, on the non, you know, on the ESPN part of the preliminaries, one of the fighters that was on there was a, a junior welterweight, a 2020 Olympian, one of Keyshawn Davis's teammates, 
uh, now fighting at 140 pounds, and that's uh, Tiger Johnson uh, from Cleveland, who also looked very sharp in a in a uh, in a knockout against Michael Hahn. I mean, Tiger Johnson's another quality prospect. He doesn't have that level of of notoriety or getting the the hype so much. He's very uh, um, you know kind of below the radar a little bit. But he's 24. He's seven and zero now, and he's looked good. And he's another guy to keep an eye on. Love all of that. And I love your insight. Give me a quick answer because we're moving on to Terrence Crawford. You were in the arena, and that's a massive uh, a building, legendary building. Were there 10,000 there? You couldn't tell on TV. Were there 15,000? Yeah, pretty full? No, no. The announced attendance, as I mentioned earlier, was a little over 8,000. They had closed the upper bowl, okay. which is not unusual for those types of fights. And so to draw 8,000 for Tifimo's first main event in that main arena against an opponent that nobody ever heard of, in yep. a bunch of fights on the show that were not big championship fights, um, I thought was a was a pretty decent crowd. Now, I was told by one of the Madison Square Garden officials that when uh, the fight that involved an undercard fight with another top-ranked excellent prospect, a featherweight from New York named Bruce Shushu Carrington, his um, fight dropped out because his opponent was not uh, licensed by the commission for some kind of uh, medical issue that they did not say what it was. But he was bringing several he was bringing several hundred um several hundred people to the fight and a lot of them returned their tickets so that would have been a little bit more support i mean if he was selling four or five hundred tickets or whatever it was and uh and that that had an impact on that so uh they were they were not displeased by that they definitely think there's room for tfima to grow or or for that group of guys to grow in terms of being an attraction there all right, let's move on. It is the Fight Freaks Unite recapped. Meanwhile, in Omaha, Nebraska, and we will get to Warrington and Lopez, which happened earlier in the day in England, but the, the biggest name of the weekend was Terrence Crawford back in action for the first time yes. this year. He wins in Omaha in front of his home fans, and that CHI Health Center, the downtown arena in Omaha, was packed um, for his return. I saw probably 80% of this fight with everything that was going on because the Lopez fight was also in progress. So I'm going back and forth watching both. Uh, he was workmanlike. Uh, Avanesian was able to score some and then eventually, boom, the one two with the straight right hand drops him. It's essentially a one punch knockout, kind of a, a one two, but the first punch was kind of a, eh, but the second punch is boom. All right. So Crawford gets the KO. By the way, if you were listening to us on the Bet US show Fridays, one Eastern time on their platforms on the YouTube channel. We both had Crawford. We both had the under. It did cash. So we got that. That's the only two things I got right, Rayfield, was Crawford on the KO and the under. It did happen. All right, you've now seen this because you were covering the top-ranked card in the Lopez main event. Give me a thought or two on Bud Crawford getting the victory and moving on. Well, you forgot to mention that Rafi was 5-0 and in his picks on the Bay US show. Yes, you were mentioning that oh. to me repeatedly Saturday night as if I had to know that. I already <laughs> knew that. I already I already was aware that you got them all right. I watched the, the I saw the Crawford KO on Twitter. Uh, I watched the full fight uh, on when I, you know, uh, last night, I guess, Sunday night as we're taping this. I watched the full fight finally. And uh, he did what he was expected to do against um, the opponent that was not an A, an a opponent. My, my impressions of Evanesian going into this fight, I think I said this on last week's podcast or maybe on the Bay U.S. show, that in the world of welterweight boxing, if you're doing a top 10 rankings that's honest and unbiased, David Evanesian will fall somewhere maybe 9, maybe 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that like 9, you know, in that lower part of the top 10 to maybe the top, the upper part of the top 15. In other words, solid contender, pretty good fighter, has some accomplishments, 
but the type of guy that if you claim to be pound for pound, you're supposed to do exactly what Terrence Crawford did, which was go in there. Uh, you know, David Evanesian had heart. He competed. He did land some nice shots on Crawford that he'll see when he watches it back. Um, but in the end, the, the class rules, and Terrence Crawford is a tremendous fighter. I don't know if I rank him number one pound for pound, not because he's not super talented, just because I don't believe he has the resume to make that that case. But that's a different conversation. He's an excellent fighter, obviously. Um, and he, like you said, they filled that building uh, in uh, Omaha. I've been there for fights as fans turn out. Um, you know, not only do they turn out, but they're, they, they are so passionate about him that, that the, the electricity is just remarkable. Now I was in yes. that building, for example, for the David, uh, not David, for the Jose Benavides fight where the, uh, where the, the electricity was even more incredible. I mean, that was just a regular old title defense when he fought Benavides and the crowd was freaking wild, but it was a couple of fights before that, when he fought in Dongo, Julius and Dongo for the undisputed, when he had two of the belts at 140 and Dongo had two of the belts, they did that fight at the Pinnacle Arena, which is about 45 minutes from downtown Omaha in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, which is the it's the arena where they play the uh, men's basketball and women's yes. basketball games for uh, for Nebraska, uh, for, you know, the university. I've and actually broadcasted out of that arena. I'm familiar with what you you're go. talking about on the campus there in Lincoln. So when he, the night he fought in Dongo, I mean, that was as good an atmosphere as any big fight I've been to in New York, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. You pick a name of a big city where I've covered a fight, and that was phenomenal. Um, so Crawford, you know, he's got star power at home. Uh, so he did what he was supposed to do against a solid opponent in Avanesian. And now the dance begins again. Are they going to be able to make an Errol Spence fight? You know, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I guess Errol Spence still is supposed to go through and have this fight with Keith Thurman, uh, at some point in the, I guess the first quarter of next year, it's still not official or announced, but all the sanctioning bodies, machinations lean that way. Everything that's PBC and, and Spence's side of said and Crawford and, uh, and Thurman's side of said sort of leads you to believe that's the fight that they're going to make. And uh, we'll have to wait and see once again. You saw the craziness uh, that was going on on social media also Saturday <clears throat> night where Errol Spence was involved in another traffic accident, not his fault. With This is in Texas. With uh, He's on Instagram Live showing his mangled car where, uh, according to the authorities, a 14-year-old, 14-year-old, unlicensed driver, you got to be 16 in most states, including Texas, had taken his parents' vehicle without permission, speeding through the intersection, blasted into Terrence or uh, into uh, Errol Spence's car. My God, I mean, a couple of years removed from his own serious DUI car accident where he catapulted out of the car. Now you had this going on Saturday night, uh, Dan, legitimately, while the fights were going on, yeah. this wreck happened. He's on Instagram Live. We're glad he's okay. Crawford even tweeted, I'm glad you're okay. That that was crazy to see that unfolding on social media Absolutely. as well Saturday. I mean, I'm glad that Errol Spence is okay. I, You know, like everybody, you're just happy that, uh, that it was uh, not a life-threatening or injury-type situation. I mean, he's had that already. The Like you mentioned, when he had it the last time, that was his own fault totally different story if you're just driving doing you know uh you know just driving wherever you're going and minding your business and with somewhere. his kids in the car yeah, as exactly. he told the authorities and some lunatic that's 14 without a license that steals the mom and dad's car and drives through the intersection uh i mean that's a messed up situation so obviously that doesn't have any bearing on the future of the negotiations that may take place between crawford and spence the one thing that terrence crawford did do was in his post-fight interview in the ring after his knockout against evanes and he made the point that that was a one-fight deal that he did with BLK prime and that he is now once again, a free agent. So if there is going to be a fight, he is certainly uh, in a position where it's not going to be uh, any kind of roadblock in terms of a promoter or a TV broadcast situation that he can negotiate with PBC and do the fight. The question is, 
what's going to change now than what didn't come to pass before. Are they still going to be stuck and dug in on the same issues that prevented this fight from taking place, uh, you know, either at the end of this year or as they were thinking maybe in the early part of next year? We'll have to wait and see what what Crawford wants, what Spence's side wants, what Heyman's willing to do. Um, you know, fighting for no guarantee, that that seemed a little bit surprising to me. I mean, uh, again, they're going to have to get back to the drawing board and see what they can do. But I'm still under the impression that Errol Spence is going to have a fight. I mean, he hasn't fought since now the Ugas fight. And he's not going to want to go into a fight like that off of a, of that long of a layoff. So I fully expect Errol Spence to fight. And if he fights Keith Thurman, by the way, I would make Errol Spence the favorite, but that's not like an easy fight. That's a, in my opinion, that's a much more uh, complicated slash difficult slash losable fight for Spence than Evanesian was for Crawford. So, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm tired of the dance. Let me know when the damn fight's signed, baby. I'm with you. I'm with you on that, but Crawford did his part. Okay. Oh, now, oh. by the way, yep. now you got Manny Pacquiao, who's who had that exhibition match in in a, right outside of Seoul, South Korea on Saturday night, also making uh, not like the outright uh, comment that he's coming back, but it was pretty clear that like he'd be open to doing the Crawford fight, which is a fight that Crawford has wanted for quite a while. So. The one bonus there is maybe that might give Crawford a little bit I don't of leverage. Have to, I own leverage. I like that. I don't have to see that. Keep me oh, 100 miles from that. He's going to butcher him. He's 44 years old. He Look, I watched him. the Pacquiao thing. I mean, he was fighting you. And, he was uh, fi- No, he was not fighting me. He was fighting you. Uh, no, not me. You. Okay, anyway. thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, Pacquiao, he looked, he looked good, but he gets... <laughs> <clears throat> he looked good against a guy that was a MMA YouTube dude who had no business being in the ring, man. He was 160 pounds for the fight. And then uh, you were, uh, was 175 pounds or 170 something pounds. And, you know, they put on a show, but the point that I took away from it wasn't what happened in the ring in terms of that match. It's that Pacquiao clearly was using this to sort of assess where he was and see if he wanted to continue. And, and I've said this since he walked away from the podium, following his loss, uh, or Dennis Ugas, is that if he lost the presidential election, which he did, that at some point he would probably make the determination that I'm going to come back. Obviously, he became president. He wasn't going to fight, but if right. he lose, there's nothing to keep him from it. And he just went and did this uh, match where supposedly he was giving the money to uh, charity to help uh, the folks in Ukraine as well as the uh, the people in his own country, as he is one of the more charitable uh, individuals you'll ever encounter. Um but he still wouldn't mind a big payday against an Errol Spence, against a Terrence Crawford, against any of these guys. And uh, that's a fight Crawford's won for years. So if he can't get the Spence fight, we'll have to see. I mean, it's crazier stuff that's happened. My can, I, can I play on the words Crawford to Pacquiao? Just because you beat you doesn't mean you're going to beat me. Exactly. All right, let's move on. Uh, Josh Warrington, Luis Alberto Lopez. Very competitive fight. Uh, dirty fight at times. I thought I was seeing this again in San Francisco where I was, and you were, I, I, I know, traveling and already in position, I think, in New York when this is going on. I thought we had the same thing again with an accidental butt, but I'm going to get to that in a second, that cuts Lopez in the second round, and I thought this thing was going to be over, no contest. To Lopez's credit, he wanted to continue. His corner was able to get the blood flow stop, and they continued. I will I will say I've watched Josh Warrington fight three or four times, and this is now more and more apparent, and it was Saturday night. He leads with his head all the time and leaps in all the time. And, Rayfield, I thought this is going to be over with in the second round again. It wasn't. There was not ruled a no contest. 
It got a little dirtier as the fight went on with rabbit punches, a kidney punch that he wasn't even warned about. Lopez ends up getting his hand raised in Leeds, England. Usually you got to knock the champ out to win in his hometown, but he, he got the decision in Warrington's hometown. All right, your thoughts in the recap mode as Lopez is the new 126-pound IBF champ. It didn't totally shock me at all. I mean, I picked him to win the fight. I thought that Warrington um, was a little bit overrated all these years, frankly. I mean, I don't, that's not a knock on him. Like, he's still a good fighter, but I didn't think he was some, you know, supernatural championship-level guy. And if you match him up with another good opponent that he could win or maybe he would lose. Uh, I didn't think he looked particularly good, obviously, against Mauricio Lara when he got destroyed. The, the rematch was a headbutt where I thought he looked terrible those first two rounds. Even in the victory that he had in the next fight, which took place earlier this year, where he uh, regained the IBF title, which he had previously vacated uh, in a knockout victory against uh, Kiko Martinez. Uh, that was a fight where he didn't look spectacular. He had a, he suffered a broken jaw. So the combination of maybe being not as good as some people made him out to be, uh, injury issues, combined with the fact that even though uh, Luis Alberto Lopez was not a household name or a well-known guy, if you pay attention uh, to the to the guys that maybe aren't ranked in the top three or four, but guys who, I mean, he was ranked number one by the ABF, by the IBF. I mean, in a real ranking, that's not sanctioning body balance, you know, uh, bias that, you know, you knew that Lopez is a good opponent. He's a solid fighter. He's only got a couple of losses there, you know, back a few years ago and he's beaten some good guys. And I just felt like he had no fear of going to, to Leeds England where Josh has always, you know, had like that fortress mentality where, you know, no one can beat him when he's at home. And I just felt like everything added up where Lopez was absolutely capable of getting the win. And even though it turned out to be a majority decision, if you think that it was that close of a fight, it really only became that close of a fight over the last couple of rounds. Because Warrington, his credit, he did finish the fight very strong in uh, the last few rounds. But Lopez had already built up such a big lead uh, in leads that it was going to be difficult to overcome. And if you, if you, I was watching the DAZN broadcast on my phone. Yes. I was, I had, I had like a, some time sort of to kill between when I could get my credential for the TFEMO card to when uh, uh, I had gotten to New York city. So I just like, literally just like was sitting in Penn station uh, in the, in the waiting area and hung out there for like an hour and was just watching on my phone. And when you see Tony Bellew, who is one of the pundits on the zone and he's giving it, to the other guy. And I mean, I'm not saying Tony's like a total homer, but you know, they lean towards their guys. I'm not, that doesn't make them bad guys or I think Bellew's a, a cool dude, but they had uh, Luis Lopez opening up a pretty good lead. So even if, if, if they've got him ahead by quite a good amount, you know, you got to figure he really is ahead by a good amount. And, and the judges for a change did a hell of a good job. in that. And fight. they gave Warrington all three of them the last two rounds to make it close. And that's what gave you the decision. All three judges gave Warrington the last two rounds. And of he fight. probably, and by the way, he, he probably did deserve those last two rounds on the cards. He did close very strong, but it just shows you the work that Lopez had put in. You know, he didn't give away the early rounds. Like again, I've, I've harped on this now for two weeks in a row, the way that Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez basically gave away the first three or four rounds, maybe in the third fight against uh, Juan Francisco Estrada a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, if Crawford had gone the distance in fights, you know, he often, now he's been knocking everybody out, so he's gotten out 10 in a row. But Crawford all oftentimes gives away those early rounds because he's just sort of feeling the guy out. Uh, it's just the style he has. Now, in the case of Lopez, you better get off to a good start because at the end of the day, round one, when you're adding up math on the scorecards, counts just as much as round 12. Maybe not in the mm -hmm. minds of the people who are watching, but in the straight mathematics, round one is the same as round two, seven, nine, 12. It all counts for 10 points if you win it, uh, and you better win it if you want to win in Leeds.
Uh, by the way, I just thought of this while you were saying it. Sugar Ray Leonard's win over Marvin Hagler. Not everything, but important. <clears throat> he won the early rounds on all the cards and banked early rounds that mattered at the end. So the math does matter on these uh, on these decisions. That's a uh, that's a big win for uh, for Lopez. That's sure a, it is. So what does it know. set him up for? Do you think? Because I know Eddie Hearn was in the ring talking about Lee Wood and Santa Cruz. For the love of God, is that fight ever going to happen? But now Lopez has to be in unified title conversation potentially here somewhere in 2023, you would think. Well, I mean, it's another uh, another champion that goes to top rank. So they will put him on their ESPN platform. They will probably try to find the best opponent that they can make for him. Um, remember, they've got – I don't think it's going to happen because Emmanuel Navarrete, who's the WBO champion, is moving up to 130 pounds to fight Oscar Valdez. I doubt he'll come back. 226 pounds so you know maybe off the top of your head you're like oh that could be a unification but that is unlikely um you got the santa cruz lee wood situation which will play out uh with the wba in the purse bid and uh and that we'll see what happens so really i think you know ray vargas has got the wbc title but he's going to be fighting at 130 pounds also the 126 he clarified did he vacate or he's hanging on to it and just fighting a fight at 130 or what do we know about vargas who's a pbc vargas is going to fight at 130 and like most times when that stuff happens, when a fighter goes from uh, the weight class where he holds a title and the fight in the next weight class, they see what takes place in the fight before they decide what's going to happen. Take, for okay. example, Golovkin. You know, he went up and fought Canelo for the super middleweight title, uh, but he had, X, you know, win or lose, he had time to determine whether he was going to still uh, defend the title at 160. He told everybody he would come back and defend at 160. So Vargas uh, will have the option, I guess, whatever he ha whatever he does to uh, – either hold the title or to stay at the new weight class. That Navarrete's moving up. Uh, Lopez now is sitting there with the title at the, of the IBF, and now you've got the Santa Cruz-Lee Wood situation that's got to play out. The point is, there is no obvious unification fight that's that's truly makeable. So top rank will look down, and they'll try to find a good quality contender, uh, be it in their, in their stable or somewhere else to fight him. But trust me, Luis Alberto Lopez is going to slide into that rotation, which is going to give just another – a regularity of title fights for top rank to market and promote on their ESPN platform. And Lopez is a good fighter to watch. He made a good fight and uh, he's got a chance to do something now. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you there's a specific name, but trust me, he'll, you know, he'll get the eye healed up and you got to figure they'll pencil him in for something in like the early spring, I would think. And he gave a great interview through the interpreter real quick on DAZONE in the uh, in the post fight where he said he hit me in my leg. He hit me in my glutes. He goes, I knew he was dirty, but he hit me everywhere. Back Listen. of the head. And how, and look, I, I know uh, my colleague David Payne over in the UK was educating me about and I think it's Bob Williams is the referee. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, was the referee. How do you not warn Warrington? I know, I know he's the hometown fighter, but you got to at least warn him when he's hit him with a with a kidney punch, when he's hit him in the back of the head. I, maybe you're not going to take a point away, but at least a warning. He he eventually warned both fighters about watch your heads late in the fight. Where's the warning on the champ? It was not it was not great officiating there. He hit him a lot of times in the hip also, which is a yes. hurt, you know that hurts when you're hitting, which is illegal to do. Also that. I mean, not legal, right? It uh you know there was a. Uh, that was a chippy fight. I mean, Warrington, like you said, he comes forward with his head and he is, you know, he in boxing, if you can get away with it, you get away with it. So it's up to the referee to, to make sure that the guy keeps it within the rules. But guys like Warrington remind me of Bernard Hopkins. You always fight in that gray area where if you can get away with it, you can get away with it. And it's up to the referee to make sure that you or your opponent 
Like, in other words, if he hits you in the balls, you hit him back in the balls. Well, I mean, that's it. That's- yes, that is one of the great equalizers that we've always heard in boxing, et cetera, that if if you're going to get fouled and the referee doesn't do anything, then do it right back. Then do do something right back to make the referee now take charge and say, okay, both of you knock it off. And so uh, Lopez gets the win. Credit to him, and we'll see what the future holds. Final few minutes. Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. We do have a title fight on Tuesday. Again, we're releasing this Monday afternoon, Monday evening. Tuesday has the monster back in action going for undisputed as Bantamweight world champion in Japan. Tuesday night, Japanese time, early Tuesday morning, U.S. time. Paul Butler, speaking of England, is the opponent. We believe he's going to get mowed down. On the bet US line, the over-under is two and a half rounds. But I, I know this is usually the recap podcast, but we're not going to be back on the preview podcast before in a way fights for all four bantamweight belts, real quick. Uh real quick, maybe not as quick as the fight, but I uh, know. I think in a way he's gonna dominate. He's gonna blow him out, he's gonna destroy him. I've said it from the moment the fight was made. Paul Butler was in the right place at the right time. He got an interim belt, he got upgraded because of some uh you know, that they were unable to make the fight uh with the with um you know, the, uh, who was it that held the title? It was Casimero. Uh, was it Casimero? Yeah, John, John Real Casimero, who had his own medical issues. They upgraded him. He just, he fell in the right spot. He won a decent fight against uh, against uh, uh, Jonas, and he gets this spot. So I don't blame him. He's taking the payday because Paul Butler's a good fighter, but he could lose to somebody for 50000 Might as well go lose for a million plus. <laughs> so he's going to Japan, and he's going to, He's going to give a good effort, I suspect. And in the end, Naya Inoue is going to absolutely pummel him. We'll He's going to become the first undisputed Bantamweight champion, not only of the four-belt era uh, or the three-belt era, but you got to go all the way back. I think it was like the 1930s, the last time there was, uh, or whatever it was, the 70s, I actually, I should say, my mistake, that there was even a guy that was the, at the time, undisputed back when it was just the, uh, just the WBA and the WBC. So it's been a long time. And this is his end of his run as a Bantamweight champion, because Inouye has said uh, win or lose, he's going up to pursue a title in the junior featherweight division after this. And he is going to just have one more important notch on the resume as a four belt undisputed champion. That's going to just be another line item on his hall of fame credentials. And uh, he's, you want to tell me that you think Terrence Crawford's pound for pound? I was I be, going there. You didn't okay. let me get in. This guy well, deserves I'm talking, to be, bro. I'm giving you my thoughts. I'm, I'm, I but I'm, he is, Better I believe pound pound than Crawford. I was going to go right. You and I agree. I was going to go right there too. That the monster may deserve a half a notch above Crawford. And is he right there with Canelo on the whole pound for pound thing? The monster's got dynamite in both hands. I mean, if you're not gonna you're not gonna get a test out of the guy he's fighting here. But he destroyed Donair in the last fight in their rematch. So I'm with you. You and I agree on the monster well, deserves I... more pound for pound credit. He does. I don't necessarily have Canelo in that moment, in that spot at the moment, because he did lose to Bebo. So to me, if you're making a pound for pound list, and I'm not telling you which guy to make number one, the, the, the real candidates, I mean, you can make Crawford a candidate. I don't agree with that, but I understand it. It's Crawford, it's Spence, it's Bebo, it's Inouye, and it's Usyk. And if you want to tell me you've got those guys in your top five, pick an order, you can absolutely have Inouye number one in my mind. You can have Bevel up there. You you can have I, I the last time I did my own pound for pound, and this was before some of these other fights uh, played out. But it was after Bevel had beaten Canelo. I had Errol Spence. He's a welterweight like Terence Crawford, and I think he's a much much better resume. Yes, as as a welterweight, he also has um, you know Crawford may have won titles in 
more weight classes, but but Errol's got the better resume. Errol's the one that's been unified at welterweight. Errol was the Olympian, so they've got a lot of similar factors when you when you consider their their placement. So, uh, you know, I thought that that Errol Spence was worthy of that position. Maybe you think that it's Crawford. Maybe you think it's Usyk. But the bottom line is, uh, uh, in a way, is preordained by most people to beat Paul Butler. I'm going to tell you flat out, if Paul Butler finds a way to win this fight, it's Tyson level loss to Buster Douglas. It won't get that kind of coverage in the mainstream, but in my mind, it's that kind of massive, massive, massive upset. He is uh 5,000 to one 50 to one on bet us. And the over under is intriguing two and a half rounds. We're not going to have the preview I, I, show. I, I would, I'm going to go over that. Do you think it goes three, two and a half? Or yeah, three? I'm going to take the, I'm taking the over on that also. But let me tell you, if, if, if in a way came out in the first round and landed one of those beautiful body shots, cause he is one of the, maybe the best body puncher in boxing. Uh, and he just crumpled them over with one shot. <clears throat> I don't think you can make a huge uh, uh, argument to say that's not an absolute possibility. All right, um, and, and he may be coming to the United States, by the way, to fight again. He's come back and forth. He fought during the pandemic on Top Rank's uh, bubble shows a couple of times. But, th- I mean, this guy is a big-time puncher, very entertaining, and we'll see what happens. And, and verify again for the audience that's hearing us, when is that on? And it will okay. also be on ESPN Plus later on demand. But if you're watching live, go. If you're watching live, I am told, and I saw it on their schedule, the ring walk for the main event, they've got other undercard fights, but if you're just interested in the main event, the ring walk for the Inouye Butler fight, approximately 6 a.m. Eastern time, Tuesday morning, ESPN+. Plus. You've been warned. And again, you can see it later on demand if you stay away from the result and want to watch it as if it's live. But that's when it's live, live, because that's roughly... And if you want to watch it on delay, don't be an idiot and go on Twitter. Well, but I'm just, I'm well, right. You're, no, I'm you're just telling it people, for people like, you're going to ruin it for people yourself. Like they, right? they look at Twitter like it's not going to have spoilers. Like, of course, they're it will. idiots. Of course, it will. And remember, uh, Japan is 15 hours ahead of Eastern time. So that's going to be in the middle of prime time, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., something like that. I think we've covered it all in the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Are you good? So we can get this out to the peeps. We're all good here. Came a little late because again, the one, host was overnight. Go, give, me, give me a shout out. Go. Just for one of the fights we really didn't cover, but it doesn't need a lot of coverage. Uh, I also watched Michael Conlon, who fought on Saturday mm. in Belfast, Northern Ireland. You had to watch uh, quickly. Fight. You had to watch quickly because it was over quickly. Yeah, we had less than two minutes and 34 seconds. On a fight where I think most people thought it was going to go many more rounds than that because uh, Michael's not the biggest puncher and his opponent is, uh, you know, normally, you know, a, a, at least on the European level, a pretty solid a pretty solid guy. He's been stopped before, but not like that. But anyway, he fought Kareem Gerfi, the former European champion, and he blitzed him in the, in the first round. And was very happy to give uh, himself and the fans an exciting uh, one-round blowout for Christmas. And uh, hopefully he moves on. He said he'll be back around St. Patrick's Day time frame. Uh, they're looking for a featherweight title fight. Where they get it, it still remains to be seen. But uh, a nice win for Michael Conlon, who I've um, you know got a lot of respect for. And uh, won his second fight in a row since that tremendous battle and a loss against Lee Wood. So he closes out the year strong. He beat Mariaga back in August. And now he has a first-round knockout against Gurphy. You know, two decent opponents to come back to after that very rough knockout it just occurred to me we're not matchmakers we just play them on the fight freaks unite recap luis alberto lopez ibf featherweight champ top rank fighter michael conlon featherweight contender top rank co-promoted is it this hard to connect the dots maybe no, listen that that's 100 that's a possibility 100 percent a possibility all right 
I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be up to Lopez's team and to, to Conlon. I'm sure Michael Conlon would not turn that down. I don't think that that Lopez, having gone to the Lions' den of of, uh, of Leeds, England, would have necessarily any qualms about fighting in Belfast as long as you pay the man. Um, that's obviously an ESPN type of show. I think that's uh, absolutely a possibility. And by the way, the March time frame uh, around St. Patrick's Day, based on when they fought now, would seem to be logical in terms of when both guys could be back. All, I know, right. all so, I know is if I'm Lopez and his team and you're going to make me go fight on St. Patrick's Day in Belfast and I'm the champ, pay me. Pay, yeah, of course. pay me. Pay me more than you think you're supposed to pay me to go do no. that one. I'm the champ. I just came to Leeds and won and want to fight always maybe in Mexico. Yeah. But, but maybe he, wants, be, it would maybe be a, he wants to fight in Mexico, though, against somebody else. So if, if that's not happening, then pay me. I got you. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, certainly a possibility because of the fact that he's not encumbered. He just won the title. So in the IBF, he's got time before there's a mandatory defense due. So, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you that that will absolutely happen. But yeah. as you mentioned, you connect the dots. It ain't that hard to figure it Intriguing. out. Intriguing. Well done, my friend. We got through this. We got it out to the peeps. We're back later this week to preview the weekend that includes Michelle Rivera uh, in action. Uh, you've also got the the Boots Ennis uh, interview on the podcast. We're almost done for the year for 2022. But yeah, that'll be the last. Uh, that's the, the one uh, next week with uh, Frank Martin, or uh, I should say on this coming Saturday, Frank Martin against, against Michelle Rivera. Very good lightweight fight, by the way. That is the last of the... Uh, of the major shows, let's say, for uh, the main, at least in the United States, the main networks, because ESPN is now pretty much done. They've got a Canadian College football. Gonna, College football know, for ESPN. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of top rank, like the guy said, they have a Canadian show, but it's not their show. They're just picking it up. But in terms of their events, they're done. You know, the zone uh, for their main shows, you know, there's a smaller Golden Boy show. Uh, but in terms of the main cards with the zone, with Matchroom and with Golden Boy, they're done now. And this will be the last of the PBC shows for the year. And uh, hopefully we get a good one. I, listen, I think that f- we'll talk about it on the preview, but Frank Martin against Rivera may not be the most known fight in the world, but in terms of what it could be competition-wise is a tremendous fight. These are both very, very good up-and-coming lightweight fighters. They're in their 20s. They're on the rise. They're unbeaten. They've been winning against decent opposition. And this is a fight where the winner can take a real step forward, in my mind. Love it. My friend, thank you. We did it. We got it done. Be well, Dan Rayfield. We'll talk to you later in the week. We'll be writing, uh, reading you on the Fight Freaks Unite Substack and on BigFightWeekend.com. Thank you, my friend. You bet, TJ. There we go. And we thank all of you for finding us. Make sure you're following or subscribing on this Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You get Fight Freaks Unite off the weekend. The preview show is out late Thursday and into Friday. For now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us as we recap the fights.